Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Today, we are heading to Norfolk, wonderful Norfolk, to talk all things horticulture with Jack Pierce. Jack's a director of Alfred G. Pierce, a root vegetable growing and processing company based in the east of England. Um, he's the third generation of his family in the company, which supplies food manufacturers and retailers across the UK and Europe with a range of processed veg. The business was started by his grandfather, Alfred, in the 1950s and now supplies around 30,000 tonnes of prepared ingredients with a speciality in carrots and parsnips. Um, and he's done a few things along the way as well. Um, Jack, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, tell us about your part of Norfolk first. Where, 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 actually, where are you in Norfolk? I know Norfolk um, fairly well, but. Well, it's funny. Everybody always sort of says, oh, yeah, you're, you're from Norfolk. You must know so-and-so. Norfolk's actually, I think, I think it's the fourth biggest county. or It's up there. It's one of the yeah, biggest yeah. counties in, in the be. UK. So it is quite a big place um so we're we're based in west norfolk um okay. so we're sort of quite not, far away not a part of norfolk i know well <laughs> yeah um and it's sort of we sit sort of on the um yeah the west side of norfolk close to king's lynn so um, okay. our business is um based a few miles from king's lynn um i myself i live up in a place called um Heacham, which is close to hunstanton so up on the coast nice uh, northwest norfolk coast which is lovely um a lot of people know sunny honey um hunstanton yep. yeah yeah <laughs> trips up uh yeah especially <laughs> if you're at leicestershire or um, lincolnshire places like that a lot of people travel up to um our way in the summer which is makes it busy this time of year yeah um but yeah so where we're based from a farming perspective we're very close to the fens we're sort of a bit of a crossroads really sort of we're on the edge of Cambridgeshire the edge of Lincolnshire um so we've got a mix of like Fenlands proper Fenlands silts and um farmlands yeah um and sort of Kings Lynn as you go over the river it's sort of you you I say you sort of enter Norfolk and it starts to get slightly hillier um the soils around us are very very sandy um, yeah yeah, I was going to say, because it's, it's just an interesting place, isn't it? Because I'm guessing it's mostly sort of reclaimed. Yeah, so sort of towards towards the coast, it is slightly more. Um, but if you go sort of north into North Norfolk, you get into sort of what I would call like proper arable country. It's yep. sort of slightly chalkier, um, yep. not great for growing root veg and things like that. Um, horticulture, it's more just a traditional arable land. Um, there are patches where... Um, we have we do grow some carrots and parsnips and things like that and onions but um, where we're based in sort of um, around Kings Lynn yeah you've just got this real mix of different land types um, and then if you go further south you get into real sort of Breckland area um, yeah. I don't know, heard of Thetford and Thetford Forest um, again it's all very light sandy sandy land which is great for growing root vegetables um, and the forest itself and the, the land around it um, sort of acts almost like a microclimate um which is it's great for growing early crops yep. so sort of this area we're sort of the earliest um growers of carrots um, and parsnips and things like that in the country so okay. we've, we're located really nicely for a mix of different things really super um give us a brief history of the business because it was founded by your grandfather in the 50s 
It was. Um, so going right back to the start, so my grandfather was from a place called Downer Market, um, which is sort of on the edge of the fence. Um, his family, his father was a smallholder. So he sort of grew vegetables um, and just sold them into a local wholesaler. Um, and at that time and in that area, there was loads of sort of small sort of family, almost, yeah, almost allotment. Um, yeah, yeah operations but at the time they were growing produce and there is still a few of them around sort of Whiz Beach down and way but very 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 sort of few and far between now but at that time there was a lot a lot of them and, and that's what his father did um very very humble sort of growing um and sort of business um but he, my grandfather I think he was one of seven he was the youngest of seven kids um wow. and I don't know where it's it, got, it got to make his voice heard then yeah, he, he just had this like massive drive um, to, to be a businessman. And, but he recognised, I think, he saw what sort of the, the middleman and the wholesalers were doing in terms of making the money. They were the ones making the money. It wasn't, you know, his father and the family, etc. Um, so he went and worked for them. And he worked for a um, wholesale sort of merchant for a few years. Um, mainly dealing with sort of strawberries, soft fruit. There was a lot of strawberries and soft fruit grown in this area um, at that time, as well as sort of carrots, um, parsnips, potatoes, things like that. Um, I think he recognized, he suddenly saw sort of an opportunity in selling into canning at the time. So in Kings Lynn, there was a big Campbell's factory, but all up the East Coast, there was a lot of canning companies, um, some around Wisbeach as well. Um, and he started, to take, he sort of went on his own and started taking contracts with these canning guys and growing the crops for them. So at the time, um, there were sort of baby Chantonet carrots, um, normal carrots, um, sort of standard sized carrots that needed to be topped. Um, and then soft fruits like strawberries, um, we used to do a few raspberries, rhubarb, things like that. And he sort of grew the business and just kept that focus on supplying the canning trade and the, okay. uh, at that time that was the food manufacturing trade so it wasn't so much um sort of this sort of sexy end of retail if that makes sense yeah. um at that point there wasn't a lot of supermarkets around and most of the stuff went into wholesalers but he started sort of going direct to the likes of Campbell's um and growing and supplying crops okay to them. um and as a business model I think that worked quite well because it sort of cut out the, the merchant, the middleman for them. Um, yeah. And that's where the business grew from. And the he continued to sort of expand the business and expand um, what we did and became very successful in doing that. Um, and then my father joined the business um, in the early 90s. Um, and my uncle, sort of five years younger than him, sort of joined a bit later. Um, and they continued to grow the business. And at, at that point, canning, canned vegetables weren't quite as um, popular as they probably were in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, but they suddenly became this opportunity to supply the sort of fresh trade. So at that time, there was sort of companies started doing bag salads. Mm -hmm. um, we used to do a lot of baby food, um, supplying to baby food, those sort of things. But what they needed was carrots that have been peeled and vegetables that have been partly processed to allow yeah. them to turn they needed the ingredients if that makes sense so we went into preparing vegetables um, for those sort of companies 
um, in sort of the, the late 90s. Um, and then again, um, my sort of father and uncle have taken the business on from there and expanded it into sort of the business that it is today. Um, we employ about roughly 100 people. Um, we turn over circa 22 to 25 million, depending on the year. Um, but it's 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 a bit of a weird business, really. I sometimes don't feel like a proper farmer. So yeah. we do we grow we grow carrots, we grow parsnips. Um, I have to say, I'm not out on a tractor every day. Um, I was talking to my wife about this last night because you sent me those questions. And she was like, "Are you really a farmer?" She was like, "You basically just do vegetable admin." Uh. That's it's always it. it's always the ultimate question. Everyone has a crisis of identity. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I've come up. I've talked to other farmers about it before. You know, there's um, guys that I've met in the industry. You know, who are very much at like the coal face of things. Um, and some of them probably you've had on your podcast. And I say to them, I'm like, I'm not really a proper farmer. But then it's like, what is a farmer? Yeah, what, absolutely. What yeah, we were looking it up in the dictionary last night. Um, on you know what what is actually a farmer and yeah it's, it's quite interesting I yeah, think yeah, what, what, what does it say i should um, really know that. that owns it's somebody that owns a farm pretty much right. i think okay dictionary definition. But that's then, the dictionary definition right but then farming if you're in farming sorry sorry any tenants out there <laughs> yeah it's um so it is a really it's I, I find it fascinating because i think farming is such a diverse industry and people just have this image of a farmer standing in a field with a tractor but actually farming and food production is a big business in yeah. the uk um, it's Absolutely. the underpinning that we do as a country because if we can't eat um you know the country falls apart yeah, um exactly so, but it there's so much scope in that it's it's a really broad industry um yeah. You know, I would say we're at the slightly more commercial, industrial business end of it. That doesn't mean that we're not in farming, if that makes sense. No, completely. Um, um, so you're employing around 100 people. I mean, what, what's your role? Because you're in, you're in business development, aren't you? Yeah, sort of my roles have developed or changed over the years. Um, I'm sort of director, so I sort of get involved in everything nowadays. Yeah. But yeah, traditionally, I've come through sort of more of the business development side so i look after i've always looked after the commercial side customers um looking at getting us into new products new avenues of you know that sort of thing um which i i really enjoy um i also do get involved in like the test technical aspect of it um which because we are we've got a food production site um and we're peeling vegetables and we're creating in ingredients from vegetables the technical burden is quite intense as well yeah. um and there's quite a lot to that. So, yeah, it's quite a broad, broad role, really. Okay. And how many, um, how many growers are you working with? How many other growers? So, we. It depends on the crop. So, our, our biggest sort of on on the prepared side. So, we produce around sixteen thousand tons of prepared carrot ingredients a year. So that's sort of diced, sliced, shredded carrot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. So, by volume, that's our biggest line. Yeah, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to picture how many swimming pools that is. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite a lot. I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish with numbers, so don't ever. Like, let me oh, so right. It's just like scale. It's like things like that. Some people are so good at just rolling them off the tongue. I'm, I'm <laughs> absolutely useless at numbers. I'm a bit dyslexic in that in that respect. So you have to excuse me if I get a bit of a muddle. But um, 
Yeah, so in terms of the carrot side, we we as a business, AG, AG Pierce, we grow um, our, all our own early carrots and our late season carrots because they're the two parts of the seasons that are like most problematic. Yep. Um, so we take that in-house and we control it ourselves. And then we have a fantastic partnership with um, an estate, the Elverdon Farms, Elverdon yeah. Estate, which is based um, sort of on the Norfolk Suffolk border. Um, it's so big, I think it crosses both. It is the biggest ring fence lowland estate in Britain. Yeah, it's, um, the it's the Guinness family, isn't it? It is, Lord Ivor, yeah. Um, and they're an amazing, amazing um, farming operation. And we've worked with them for 20 years. So they grow all of our, we grow most of our main crop carrots there. That equates to a horrendous number. I think it's about 30,000 30, tons of carrots every year. Um, and that's an amazing resource for us because one of the challenges with, a lot of horticultural products is the rotation. So carrots, it's, you know, seven, eight year rotation. Um, if yeah. you want to be sort of wholly sustainable. Wow. So trying to find lands that is, you know, what's been on it before it's got, you've got good irrigation. It's the right soil type. It's, it's sometimes quite challenging. Um, and, you know, as carrot growers and root veg growers, we're quite nomadic. Um, I had a retail buyer once say to me that I sort of said to me, so you, you own all the land that you grow on. And I said, look, I put it this way. If I owned all the land that we grew on, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be sitting on a somewhere. I definitely wouldn't be putting myself through the stress of doing what we do. Um, yeah. So as, as landowners, we're very, very modest because, you know, we own, for example, a 130 acre farm ourselves yeah. near Kingston and yeah in terms of actually what we can grow on it every year, we can only ever touch it every eight years. Um, yeah. Wow. So the access to um, the amount of lands um, and sustainable lands ring fenced in on the Elverdon estate is, is really, really great for us. Um, and we work really closely with them um, in terms of the, agro the agronomic side, um, mm. as well as the field operation side, but it's perfect carrot land. Um, so we're quite lucky. So in terms of, the amount of people we work with, there's us, Elberton, um, and then we have a couple of other sort of smaller specialist growers that do the really early part of the season. Um, we work with a grower in Yorkshire um, that grows us some large carrots, big carrots for carrot sticks and things like that. Um, but apart from that, it's it's quite a small pool nowadays. Mm. Um, how, um, on... how, how, how stringent are your customers in terms of what they're looking for in terms of quality? Because obviously from a, from a, consumer point of view we've become slightly more used to seeing wonky veg and stuff in the shops um but how, how stringent are those are those uh, quality standards well i think this is the this is the weird bit about our our sort of sector of the market so if you if you imagine you walk into a retailer i won't use what one yeah. name for, okay uh, try and keep them more happy um but if you walked into a big escos let's say um and you walk in, the first thing you see is the produce aisle and you see all those vegetables whole or mostly whole, um, you know, in bags or in, in boxes. We, the, the bit that we do is actually everything behind that. So we're not sort of putting whole carrots or whole onions um, or whole sweet potatoes in a bag for a retailer. Um, what we're doing is taking the crop, processing it and turning it into the ingredients that are in all the other products at the back of the store. Yep. So whether that's a tin soup, um, a ready meal, 
salad bag. Um, if you go into the prep veg aisle, it's all those carrot sticks, um, sliced carrots mixed with um, things like broccoli florets and stuff like that. So in terms of the specifications we work to, they're quite tight because what they want is an ingredient. So yep. if you imagine you chopping up your vegetables for a spag bowl at home, um, we're essentially doing that, but just on a massive scale. Mm. Um, and, you know, for most of the ready meal companies, let's say to produce consistent meals, they've got to have consistent ingredients um, in the same way as, you know, you want a nicely chopped up carrot in your spag bowl. You don't want, you know, a huge mix of sizes. You want them all sort of nicely, neatly chopped up. Um, they, they demand exactly the same of that from as that from us, um, just on a bigger scale. So we worked some quite tight specifications. But on the flip side, the beauty of what we do is we're able to work with the whole crop. Yeah. So we take one of the unique thing about us as a um, vegetable preparation com company, there's not many of, there isn't really any other company in the country that really has the growing side. So we're able to take at the moment, we're harvesting about five miles from our factory here. We're taking those carrots in every day. They get tipped up, washed, graded. And at the grading stage, we'll take certain sizes off for certain products. So certain sizes will go for slicing. Certain sizes will go for carrot sticks and battens. Um, anything wonky will go off for, you know, small dices or shred shredded carrots so we're able to actually utilize the whole of the crop yep. probably better than um guys that are packing for retail so we don't end up with like wonky veg or anything like that because it all gets turned into an ingredient somehow um mm. i'm not a massive sorry i'm not a massive fan of the like wonky veg movement in some ways because uh, it's a bit controversial when i say this but um oh, that's interesting okay it's been a really good marketing thing by the retailers so when Hugh Fenning Whistle did his program and showed the wonky veg and yeah um god that was quite a while ago you know the it, it was actually wasn't it really jumped on it and they created all these wonky veg products and they said oh look how fantastic are we but actually a lot of those wonky veg were going into food manufacturing so they were going into companies like us or we were supplying those into you know, massive soup manufacturers or they were going for freezing and things like that. So they weren't really getting wasted. And some yeah. of the, I'd say some of the examples they used, I'm not going to say they were stage managed, but they weren't far off. So the amount of people I've had ring us and say, we're doing a piece on um, food waste. Can we come and have a look at like a pile of carrots that is going to waste? And we're like, well, no, because we don't have that. Like, <laughs> It really frustrates me and you wouldn't believe like the amount of um yeah press inf like interest we've had on that sort of stuff and they what they want to see is like a big pile of parsnips for example um but if as a business like if we i always say to them if we had big piles of waste sitting there like that we we wouldn't be going like it's not it's it's bad business and yeah. some of the examples they used in some of those programs dare i say possibly the growers weren't necessarily utilizing their crop as well as they should have been okay. um you know the, re the retailers didn't help with their specifications and they have opened their special spec specifications out but um the sort of misnomer of this huge massive waste 
mountain at the grower end, it should never happen really because it should mostly be able to be utilized. That's fascinating, actually. So, from your point of view, from someone who is at the coalface within um, within the hort industry, what is what is the scale of, of wastage? If you count stock feed, so in our factory, let's and I'll just use onions are a little bit harder because it's harder to use onion waste. So, all of our onion waste, for example, goes for composting, and that's the only thing we can do. You can't feed cattle on onions. Um, but take carrots and parsnips, for example, there is a calorific value to them. So anything that's like not fit for human consumption um, will go for stock feed. So that's going into the food yep. chain. Um, yep. And, you know, our, we've got two or three um, local herds that we work with um, and it's all tightly audited. It's all tightly, you know, it's not a free for all. And there is like a bit of a specification around that, but you know, all that waste gets utilized in the food chain. And then everything else, because of what we do, we're able to utilize it. There's not not a lot being really wasted at all. Um, so f- for our ends, the, the level of food waste, I would say most of it is happening either in store yep. or in consumers' homes. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Um, new product development and innovation. Um, what things are you sort of looking forward to the future on? Um, <laughs> I think for me, the most exciting growth area that we're seeing is like the switch to a more plant-based diet. Um, I know that's really controversial with some people and I myself, I'm not wholly sold on the vegan debate and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I still love my meat. But as a, as a business opportunity, there is an opportunity in for us as what we do in getting more vegetables into meals. With what we do, you know, we're not making products that can go into soy burgers or um, like meat replacement products. But there seems to be a shift, especially when you talk to the retailers and some of our customers into what they call um, like non-analog, it's a horrible word, like non-analog um, meat replacement so it's actually using vegetables to create things rather or using vegetables in unique ways to create plant-based meals okay rather than just making factory made i don't know plant-based um soy burgers and things like that yeah. so that's definitely increased the um, amount of innovation that we're doing and creating new products you know we created a product a while ago um a lasagna sheet out of butternut squash so we take a butternut squash and we slice it even if it just increases veg consumption i I think that's a good thing for people's health um but yeah so that's created a real opportunity for us to be more innovative and innovative and think about you know how do we use vegetables in different ways um and one of the things i really like to see and i do 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 at home is you know i'd rather i personally we we buy better quality meat, but less of it. Um, so we've stopped buying so much meat from supermarkets and things like that at home. Um, and there seems to be a shift towards, and I hope it does continue to go this way into, into people buying maybe slightly less meat, but paying more for it. Um, and then bulking up meals with more vegetables um, and using that as a way of sort of increasing the, the volume of the food we eat. Um, and I've been doing that definitely more and more with curries and things like that at home. Yep. And that seems to be the way that the retailers are trying to push things as well, you know, is trying to create 
ingredients or or packs to to help consumers do that at home themselves um, mm. rather than just continually push the plant-based meal replacement thing which I, meat replacement thing which i don't think is the answer either yeah. let's talk a little bit about you um life growing up um do you have any memories of the business growing up or were you fairly detached from it uh unfortunately no it's like it's been all my life really <laughs> um, yeah i've got sort of really st- like memories my 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 dad used to always bring me around the factory as a kid. You wouldn't be allowed to do that now okay. um, for health and safety reasons. <laughs> but I remember like climbing up on graders and things like that and going down. I used to love going and seeing the factory. In those days, it was quite a bit more primitive than it is now. Um, but yeah, going to see the grader and all these conveyors and product being moved around and going into the fields. You know, we used to have, um, at that time, I was only living down the road from our sort of farm. Um, and at that time, our farm, we were growing sort of rhubarb on it. So I do remember okay. like all the rhubarb and rhubarb remains in the same field year on year. Um, and I remember eating loads of rhubarb as a kid and um, he used to always bring home like tins, tins of strawberries and things like that. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got fond memories. And then as I grew up, I started um, getting involved a little bit in the business. Um, I remember I used to, I, I probably was a little bit, naughty or slash lazy at school and I remember I used to get particularly bad school reports and whenever I got a bad report I'd get like a week's grace period because I knew the reports would always come out like a week after the end of term so I'd have like a week of my mum and dad being nice to me Um, (laughs) and then the report would come and I remember one I was about 14 at the time and I got one report and my dad was like right you're going to get this summer like you're working at the factory <laughs> i went down and to be fair i did get a cushy job i was working as a qc in the factory okay. um but yeah so i started pretty early and and that taught me a lot it wasn't always easy being the boss's son especially in the factory um mm-hmm. I, used to, I used to get a little bit of um you know, ribbing which was quite fun yeah um, imagine. <laughs> but i loved it i loved the banter and i loved sort of getting involved and I guess that's why I ended up eventually ending up in the business. We also do a lot of export and we import a lot as well. And I used to get taken out of school like during term time, actually. And like if my dad was going down to Spain or meeting growers down there um, or customers and things like that, I used to go with him. I remember like sort of aged 14, 15 being like long lunches in Spain with Spanish growers who just loved to see, try and get me as pissed as possible. (laughs) And actually now it's really embarrassing. I deal with buyers that knew me when I was at that stage and there was one particular trip that two of them were on. And I have to deal with them now as like a 33 year old. And they remember me, I've, I've, we had like a really long lunch and then pretty much went straight from lunch to dinner. Yeah. And I think I got about a beer into, I, was, I must've only been 14 or 15 at the time, got a beer into sort of dinner and had to just like run out of the restaurant. I just threw up all <laughs> over the street. <laughs> I, got, I had to go home and they still remind me of that now. Like they're a lot older in their careers, but yeah, so I've been, I've been knocking around for quite a while, even, even since I was fairly young. You went away to uni. Where, where did you go? What, what did you do? I went to Newcastle. Um, oh, so good, quite far then. Yeah. I went, I disappeared off to Newcastle um, because mainly because of the academic reasons obviously no, uh, I, I just fell in love with the city um 
I'm, I'm really into like into surfing and kite surfing and stuff like that. So I had to find a university that was close that I could go surfing and sort of kite surfing a lot as well. Yeah. So and you didn't, you, quite, yeah, you didn't, you didn't fancy Falmouth then. Yeah, I no, that was one that was on. I think I applied for like Exeter. Um, yeah, yeah. Falmouth. Um, where else did I apply for? I, I, a few other coastal ones, I think. I think Cardiff. Yeah. Okay. And then yep. yeah, Newcastle, but um. Yeah, I I didn't do agriculture at uni. Um, my dad really wanted me to do wanted me to do like agribusiness or something like that. But I was like, no, I'm not going into agriculture. I'm not going into that. I'm I'm, I'm going to go into marketing. Yeah. And at the time, I wanted to actually go into sports marketing. Um, okay. And potentially, like, I wanted to work in sort of extreme sports or something like that. That's okay. That, like, other real big passion at the time. Um, and it was whilst I was at uni, really, that. I just, I don't know, I just started, I've always loved food and I think I started getting that connection. I started doing some work on my dissertations and things like that back with the business. And that's when I started thinking, well, actually, you know what, like I like, I do love what we do and I do love food and and I ended up, yeah, joining the business um, straight out of uni, which I definitely was never going to do when I was, even in my second year at uni, I was applying for jobs outside of in london and things like that but i'm 100 happy with what i did and the way i went but yeah yeah it, it was always planned if that makes sense because i mean tell us about this um food services business that you set up which is sort of supplying restaurants with with local and specialty produce yeah my um my dad and uncle call it the most expensive grad scheme in history um <laughs> whilst I was doing my, no, um, when i was doing my dissertation i was doing it around um food marketing and um food supply chains and i had some friends that were chefs um they hadn't gone to uni or one of them had dropped out of uni and was had a pub up here in norfolk and it was just through that I was talking to them and they were like, oh, we really struggled to get like local produce. We struggled to get good quality produce and things like that. And I was like, well, I know quite a lot about produce actually. And I suddenly realized I had quite a lot of contacts, you know, we yeah. grew some ourselves and I was like, maybe there's something in this. So I ended up leaving uni and saying to, to my dad and my uncle, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to join the company, but I want to do this. Okay. And they were like, mm, okay. <laughs> um, and they said, look, we'll back you, we'll back you for a couple of years and you know, we'll see where it goes. Um so it started off with me in a van driving around like a headless chicken, Great. um grow, sort of picking up produce from local growers, um, and you know, getting some of our own um produce as well, and then supplying it out to restaurants. And the business we sort of grew from that to that we ended up employing about 25 people, um, returning over a few million a year um, in five years wow. um the challenge was it was just it's such a hard industry to make money out of yeah. um and the commercials even though you can be you can have like all the passion and um love for what you want to do but sometimes trying to i learned a hard lesson like you have to try and turn that into a commercial animal and that's yeah. really difficult to do um yeah. and yeah especially especially sort of in that sector is really really hard work you know people don't realize just from the restaurant end of things like the, the supply chain in that there's so many people that basically give up their lives working in the middle of the night you know the wholesale markets down in Spitterfields, New Covent Garden those guys are just mad you know yeah. they, 
they start work at nine o'clock at night or whatever and they finish at sort of eight nine o'clock in the morning and that's their lives and they yeah. have this like nocturnal there's this not nocturnal world of restaurant supply that happens all overnight because chefs wow. want to place an order at 10 o'clock at night when they finish shift and they expect the delivery to be there like eight o'clock the next morning yeah yeah and they'll you know and they'll be leaving up sort of a, an order of you know they'll want 20 kilos of carrots 10 kilos of potatoes they want fasalis they want bananas they want everything and you've got to try and pull that together and deliver that the next morning and it's it's crazy i still like i have a lot of respect for that part of the industry because nobody really talks about it um, yeah absolutely you know it nearly broke me in five years so how <laughs> people go and do like 20 years in it I've, it's just mad um but it's good fun it was a real education for me yeah fascinating um so when when did you actually join the family business so we we sold um alfie's um another company came and took it over um okay based in essex actually um i'm trying to think that was about 10 years ago yep um so i've now done sort of 10 years sort of working full-time in the business um sort of it's been a bit of a learning curve it's completely different you know it's it's very commercial um you know we've got we have a I'm, I'm very passionate about what we do and the people and i want to make sure that like what we do is right for our customers and things like that but it's yep. It is commercially driven. It is all about numbers. It's all about price. It's all about delivering the best value. So it's a it's a very different thing to than to walking up to a chef and saying, "Look at this fantastic, yeah, completely you know, fresh um, product that I've just sourced for you." You know, and they get excited and they'll pay for it. It's it's very different to that. You know, it's a lot of spreadsheets and um, yeah, meetings and yeah, it's 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 a business. It's very business orientated. If that makes sense. Yeah. What about um? What about main challenges for the business at the moment? Oh God, where do we start? Um, <laughs> Labour's always been a challenge for us, um, but probably the biggest short-term challenge we've got is energy, like electricity. Um, yeah. So we use um, a fair amount of electricity in our business, um, especially with some of the equipment that we have. We run these things called hydro coolers that use a huge amount of energy. Got a lot of refrigeration, um, so our electricity bill is fairly toppy. Um, but in our current deal ends in October, yeah, and we're looking at a four hundred and thirty-three yep. percent increase. Yeah, it's the time when everyone is well. Everyone's dreading it. I think, to be honest, um, and I'm, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're going to just pass. You're going to have to pass those costs on. So we we budgeted for I think like a hundred percent increase, um, and we passed that on. But to be fair on our customers and be, to be fair on the retailers, it's like where does that stop? Because like for if you're a customer, like everybody has different energy energy uses, everybody has different um, energy contracts and things like that. So it's a very energy is quite a difficult one to try and translate back through to price. Yeah. Um, and I think if everybody just passed that on in the industry, you know, like from a consumer point of view, you know, we would be seeing mental inflation compared to what we're currently seeing. Mm. Um, what we're having to do as a business is basically absorb it. We have got inflation for our customers and we've been supported by our customers um, on, on sort of most cases, but most of that inflation covers increases in packaging, labor, all the other things. Um, it doesn't increase sort of the exceptional cost increases in electricity. 
So we're just having to swallow it for now. We are, we've got planning permission in for quite a large solar array. I was going um, to ask with it. Yeah. 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 And for me, for me, it's like, I'm a big believer in like businesses. You have to take ownership of the problems you have. Mm. Um, you know, yes, you should, you should be able to put price increases in and you should be able to pass on inflation. Definitely. But if there is what, what the consumer can't do is pay for the industry's inefficiencies. And that's not like a dig at the industry because us as a business, we haven't done anything about solar before up until now. And we're having to react to it sort of post the problem, if that makes sense. You know, in, in hindsight, we should have been doing this two years ago, um, but it, it wasn't top of the agenda. And, and that's, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And every yeah. business always has challenges every year. Um, but for us as a business, we've got a, we're investing in solar. We're fortunate to have the land next to the factory and we're hoping to sort of get, we, we, we're aiming to get about 60% of our energy for our factory from renewables. Mm. Um, and we can do that within a year. So we're just having to mitigate that through renewables as opposed to just passing that price on. Because if we did that, we wouldn't be competitive in the industry and we'll probably be out of business um, in two years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a massive challenge, but we just have to meet it. And that's what our business has always done every year. And that's why we're still going after, you know, my, my grandfather started it 50 years ago. You know, if if we just sort of failed at every challenge, we, we wouldn't still be here. We just yeah. got to keep pumping on. Um, exactly. Um, opportunities, though, as well. Um, what, what What's the opportunity going forward? I see like our sector of the industry has probably got slightly more consolidated year on year. So there's less people in it. Um, you know, we're becoming bigger to our customers. Um, that creates opportunities. It also creates a challenge as well. Um, because you know, there's less, if there's less, um, competition in the marketplace, one of the things that we did, we're, we're quite a small part in size versus, you know, our customers, the food manufacturers and the retailers We're tiny. Um, and that I think is something that's faced by most farmers or agricultural businesses or agribusinesses, you know, we're all as individuals quite small versus our customers. So the economics of it makes it very challenging. Um, what we sometimes see is, you know, whilst you're sitting here and you think the market's consolidating and you think, okay, there's less competition, you can't just go and put your prices up because your customers and, and the retailers will always, they will always engineer a way to readdress that balance. So that yeah. whether that's, you know, pumping up a, another potential company that could do what you do and getting them to invest in the equipment and, and the facilities to, to match what you do to create that capacity back in the marketplace. You know, we've seen that plenty of times over the years. So we have to be a little bit careful, but you know, there is an opportunity in the fact that there is less people doing what we do. You know, we are, I would say we've got the expertise and the experience in what we do and we do it well. Um, so if we continue to just try and, be the best at what we do i see you know our business there's a great opportunity in the next 10 years um i want to try and push our business into more added value as well okay so at the moment you know we create fresh ingredients i want to try and add further processes to those as well to create you know new and innovative products i've been working with drying smoking cooking um playing around you know i've made carrot bacon for example <laughs> The first iteration. Wow, you heard it all, here first. All pork, yeah, all you pork producers out there who carry. I was just saying, I pig, pig farmers have enough on at the moment. Yeah, 
Um, they don't want to worry about carrot bacon as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think they shouldn't be quaking their boots. Some of the awful. Um, carrot hot dogs as well. But, you know, I am starting to get there. And there are, you know, interesting opportunities. Because like I said before, if people are going to eat, you know, meat replacements, I think they should be eating things that are made from vegetables or something natural rather than something that's created in a factory that's got million and one ingredients. You know, it should be clean label um, and it should be as natural as possible. Um, so that's, you know, where we're sort of trying to take things for the next step um, in the future. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to be um, challenging too many people in that respect. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's start to wrap things up. We always finish the show with the same two questions, which I'm going to ask you now. The first is if you have a message for the public, what would it be? I could go on and on about this one. I think I'm very passionate about, um, I think as an industry, we need to do more. And I think this podcast is brilliant. And I think as an industry, we need to find more innovative ways of communicating better with the consumer and the customer. Um, And particularly in like urban young areas, Um, because, you know, Country Files amazing and some of the traditional ways that we're doing the NFU and things like that. They've been, they've been around for years and yeah. I think they're brilliant, but sometimes you can, we almost sit in our own echo chamber as well at times. Big time. um, you know, the amount I've done a lot of stuff in the media recently and I get, you know, farmers and friends of my dad's and people like that who are all in sort of farming. They go, Oh, that's a fantastic article. That's brilliant, 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 really raising awareness. I'm like, you're not really who I need to talk yeah. to because you already know the problem. Like exactly. what we need to do is communicate outside of that bubble. Um, so I think like my message to people on the outside is, um, you know, I think take the time to understand things from the grower's point of view and the, the food producer's point of view. Um, because I think there's sometimes, yeah, a lot of misnomers and a lot of um, false information out there. And I think, People need to understand both sides of the coin um, when it comes to like the food production debate. Um, we get it ourselves. You know, I've been labelled in just what we do. We get labelled as, oh well, yeah, you're the, you know, industrial end of farming, and you do this and you do that. You're, you know, prepared vegetables is a massive. I've, I've had this one before, plenty of times. You know, preparing vegetables is a huge waste of resources. You know, people should, you know, it's it's people should just be using whole vegetables grown in the gardens, this side and the other, right? But yeah, if you're a mother with a family of four, you know, you're busy picking up a pack of prep veg is a bit of a lifesaver because it's, it's saving them time. So you can't, you know, you can't just write it off, but it's understanding that full debate. And I don't know, as an industry, I think we need to think long and hard about how we get that information out there. And I think there are some amazing young people in this industry that are doing that now, especially yeah. through social media. Yeah, um, just on that, I'm going to give a, a shameless plug right now, actually, for uh, my other podcast, the Rural Business Focus podcast. I've got um, uh, Andy Venables from Hills Green is on. Uh, I'm trying to think when it's actually on tomorrow's episode because this comes out on Monday. Yeah, um, so it's on tomorrow's episode, and we're talking about Mission Ag uh, and Hills Green's campaign there. Um, finally, um, a message for farmers, Jack. Just keep plowing on. Very good. <laughs> That's what my- my uh yeah my my dad and my granddad like we've all i think as an industry like by nature it's we're very resilient yeah you have to put up with a lot of shit in this industry you're, you're dealing with a lot of forces outside of your control um and you know i think we we have to be very accepting of 
you know, things that we you can't control. So I think we are very resilient and there are a lot of challenges and a lot of problems, you know, coming up in the future. Um, I think it's a really hard industry to be in, but you've just got to keep, keep your head down and just keep doing your best all the time. So yeah, just keep going on. Pop more you regen farmers out there. Um, yeah, I think, I think <laughs> we'll, uh, Don't open that, mate. <laughs> can of worms um yeah i think we'll leave it there yeah thank you jack so much for coming on no problem thank you for having me um before we yeah how do um how do people follow you on social media or find out more about alfred uh, pierce um you can go to www.alfredgpierce.co.uk um for our website um i do have a instagram page at jack grows i have okay. a very modest following versus um some of the guys i know out there um yep. who basically got my instagram following for me because when i went on it they sort of got everybody to follow me and then i've <laughs> done a really poor job of um, repaying <laughs> kindness by putting decent content out so i'm not going to say it's the most exciting um instagram page out there i will do more um, my wife pushes me every day but yeah at jack grows brilliant that's great cheers jack Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please do subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're using and share it on your social media. Um, next time, uh, next week, I'm actually having a week off the podcast um, because I'm actually moving down to a farm in the West Country uh, for the summer. So I'll be moving in then. So there won't be a show uh, next week, but the following week, um, I will be back with Dairy Farmers. Sophie and Tom Gregory talking to people who are good on social media. Um, so I hope you can join me then. I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. And I hope you'll have a great week.